0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the event manager podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Andrea Doyle and I am the senior editor of Skiff Meetings and in this episode titled Elevating the Business Events Industry Starts with Advocacy, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tommy Goodwin, Vice President Government Affairs with the Exhibitions and Conferences Alliance. We talk about things like fully welcoming international exhibitors and attendees back to the United States, sustainability, promoting government involvement in developing the industry's future workforce, bringing back disease coverage to event cancellation insurance, and how government can help attract, train, and retain the industry's next generation workforce. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out our other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Let's get started.
1: And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau.
2: Afternoon, Tommy. Was hoping you could introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about how you got to be where you are today.
1: Andrea, thanks for having me on. I'm Tommy Goodwin. I'm the Vice President of Government Affairs for the Exhibitions and Conferences Alliance, which is the advocacy voice of the face to face business events industry. I've been in the advocacy and association world for about 20 years, um, working for Everybody from Oracle and AARP down to the Project Management Institute, and I got the opportunity to come over to this industry a couple of years ago and help establish its advocacy voice, and it's been a tremendous uh, journey ever since.
2: And did you um, join during the pandemic, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic?
1: I, I did. So EC is very interesting. We're uh, we, we're a bit of a pandemic baby. We were uh, we were formally established in February of 2021, so kind of right during the cusp of things beginning to open up again. Um, we were preceded by a group called the Go Live Together Coalition that got started right at the beginning of the pandemic. But yes, so we have, uh, my, my entire experience uh, in the face-to-face business events world has been uh, unfortunately uh, during and post pandemic, but we seem to be on the rise again, which is good news.
2: All right, great. How, how do you explain to friends and family what you do?
1: Oh goodness, that's a tough one. Uh, What what I explained to to the people in my world about what I do is, you know, I help organizations and groups of individuals have conversations with government. And that can be, you know, a, a mayor, it can be a city council, it can be the U.S. Congress, it can be the U.N. It's all about trying to connect people to their public policymakers and their elected officials and help them try to have productive conversations where they're getting their point of view across. And so that's what I do. It's kind of, kind of educational, almost like a school teacher, but on kind of a one-on-one basis with some uh, much more unruly students than uh, the average school teacher has to deal with.
2: Wow. So um, you said you're, you're, the organization was established in early 2021, and you've been supporting the recovery and advancement of the face-to-face business events industry. Can you um, explain to us a little bit about what your biggest accomplishments have been in this role?
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting to take a look back two years ago when I was thinking about when I joined. I think at that point in time, you could have an event with 250 people in the same location in three states. So this was uh, at the uh, at the really apex of the lockdowns. And so, you know, one of our first goals at ECA was we were trying to reopen business events for folks nationwide. And you know, within six months of ECA coming around, all fifty states were reopened uh, for large-scale events. Um, we led some campaigns in Nevada, New York, California, Illinois to make sure that some of the big destinations for events were reopened again. And then we pivoted toward really championing the industry's relief and recovery efforts. So you know, trying to do what we could to secure financial support for the industry. And you know, I'm happy to say, you know, through our advocacy you know, our small businesses and other key stakeholders uh, wound up getting more than $800 million uh, in federal support, both uh, directly from Congress and through uh, states and cities and money that was passed down from Washington, D.C. So we were definitely uh, effective in helping them um, get some of the relief that they needed to get to the other side of the pandemic. Now, there were some other areas that we pushed You know, we were trying to separate, you know, put together a separate hard hit industries relief fund that would have been about $13 billion for, you know, industry, small businesses and others that unfortunately didn't get across the finish line. But, you know, we had bills introduced in Congress that would have restored all kinds of benefits, set up grant programs and do more to help with that recovery. So that was huge for us. And then since then, we've really been focused on a couple of different things. One of them is really trying to bring back our international visitors, our international attendees and exhibitors, which is such a huge part of the U.S. industry. Um, You know, we were front and center in trying to get rid of the country-specific travel bans uh, that existed in 2021. Um, You're making sure that all the vaccines were included so that people from all over the world can come back, working on getting rid of some of the duplicative testing that was keeping folks coming back. And now we're really focused on dealing with some of the visa problems that folks in countries like Mexico and Brazil and India are experiencing, where it takes, you know, from a year to two years just to get a visa interview appointment. And those are folks that can't come back to events. And it's really um, kind of one of the road bumps that uh, still exists in our industry. And then just working to, you know, identify and help overcome some of the barriers that were identified during the pandemic for the industry. You know, we can't get Communicable disease coverage and event cancellation insurance anymore, talking to policymakers about how we do that, trying to help educate um, our elected officials on the industry sustainability journey, you know, through net zero carbon events and you know, all the efforts that we're doing to uh, create a greener and more sustainable industry. And then thinking about you know, some of our workforce issues. You know, I think the workforce has been a big challenge for the industry. So talking about that. So we've gotten quite a bit done, but uh, there's always uh, there's always going to be more to do. And that's uh, that's kind of where I come in and help to uh, carry the industry's voice forward.
2: Okay, great. So um, where you mentioned the visa issues, and I mean, it is hard to believe that a year to two years to get a visa appointment, that's not even actually a visa. Um, are you making any inroads with helping to improve this situation?
1: We have, this is one of the more challenging policy issues that I think impacts the industry because on some of the things that we just talked about, it was a matter of getting a bill signed or getting someone to you know put together an executive order to open back up. This is more of an administrative capacity issue. We've got some serious staffing problems at embassies and consulates around the world. We've got giant backlogs of visas that go all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic when the US stopped processing them but still kept taking applications. And so, what we have been supporting and what we've been recommending is you know a series of steps that would help accelerate that process. We've got some countries that the situation is pretty bad in, you know, India's a couple of years, Mexico's a year right now. How do we focus on those specific areas where we know a lot of our attendees and exhibitors come from? Mm-hmm. And then how do we then think about okay, once we get rid of the backlogs, how do we make things more efficient and more effective going forward? And one of the ideas that we've consistently put forward is for show organizers who have large international contingents think of a consumer electronic show type of ever you know can they begin collecting data during the registration process that they could then turn over to the state department and do batch visa processing mm-hmm. to you know begin to streamline things on the state department's end but maybe four or six months ahead of time pump that information over and then let the process begin maybe do some dedicated days where we're just doing, you know, visitor visa, business visa interviews instead of all the other visas that embassies and consulates deal with. How can we just make the process more efficient? Now the good news so far is that with China reopening, the numbers in China look really good around visa processing. And so we're hoping this is going to be the harbinger of some improvements to come.
2: Okay, great. Because China has been key to the industry seeing a full comeback.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we're very heartened that in most embassies and consulates, it's less than a month to get a visa plan. And that's good news. That's about what it should be. And as long as the continued attention on that market, state continues to focus on it the way that it should, we should be in a situation where we see the regular return of Chinese attendees and exhibitors this year, which can only help the industry's recovery.
2: Okay. So you see that back to where it was in 2019, this year, in 2023?
1: I don't know if we're going to get all the way back this year, but we will certainly see okay. the recovery of that market come forward. You know, I think the, what is it, the Center for Exhibition Industry Research says it looks like it's going to be 2024 for full recovery. But pieces like the Chinese market reopening certainly does accelerate that process.
2: you had mentioned um bringing back um disease coverage to event cancellation insurance so that um changed during the pandemic didn't it when that became something that's not insured
1: it did i think there were a lot of responsible organizers both for-profit and associations who took out beautiful disease coverage on their event cancellation insurance in many cases sustain them through the pandemic and really prevented some of those large-scale um you know Workforce reductions and other you know kind of mission depleting activities that we saw it seems to have some that didn't but as a result of those payouts um you know unfortunately no insurers left in the industry are writing communicable disease coverage internet cancellation insurance right now the market has just totally collapsed and the closest thing I can compare it to is if you remember after 9 11, where you couldn't get terrorism insurance. Like no insurer would write terrorism insurance, the market fell apart. And the government ultimately stepped in, Washington DC stepped in and created something called the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act. And it basically required insurers to write terrorism coverage again in exchange for the government backstopping future losses. Basically piled up money over time so that if anything did happen, the government would pay a substantial part of those claims. And you know, 20 years later, that has never been touched. It's actually made the government quite a bit of money. And if you go anywhere right now, any insurer, any property and casualty insurer in America would be happy to write you a terrorism writer on whatever policy you have. What we think, and what a variety of other policyholders, ranging from entertainment companies to insurers to, or, um, you know, real estate companies, associations, is: can we do something like that for pandemic? Can we create a public-private partnership where the government agrees to step in and backstop potential future losses in exchange for the insurance companies coming back to the market and you know not only doing the um, you know the the event cancellation insurance but things like business interruption insurance? How can you create kind of a private-public version of the Paycheck Protection Program that puts private capital in, kind of lessens some of the potential losses on all sides? and create something that, you know, the stakeholders in our industry, particularly our small businesses, can afford and would bring in to, you know, become responsible stewards of their shows. That's what we're looking for. Um, That's going to require a bipartisan solution out of Congress that's going to be something that, you know, every side's probably going to need to give a little. And I think we've seen some of that over the last couple of years. I think politically, hopefully, we'll see more of it going forward. But there's a group of senators uh, in in the U.S. Senate um, both Republicans and Democrats who have been working together on this. And we're hoping to see a proposal soon and begin talking to Congress about why this is so important to the industry's recovery.
2: I mean, you've had so many successes, but when you first started and the organization was first formed, was one of the biggest challenges educating senators about the importance of this industry?
1: I think education of policymakers is probably job number one in my world, no matter whether you know we were just getting started or where we'll be 10 years from now. There are always new representatives, congressmen and women coming in. There are new mayors, city councilors, governors, and there's always going to be an aspect of continuing to educate those folks about the economic impact that the industry has, how many jobs we support, and what we do nationwide to help small businesses so that's always going to be an aspect of what I do and I'll give an example um on january 3rd when the new congress was sworn in there was a very very even divide in the house of representatives mm-hmm. and it wasn't the republican democrat divide it was i believe it was 220 to 219 members of congress who served two terms or less versus those who've served more wow and you think about all those you now i believe this year it's 82 new members of Congress coming in, who may not know the impact of the industry, may not know how many folks were employed in the industry in their district or state. And that's just a constant conversation that we need to have You know, the industry. was, you know, it had things like exhibitions day through IEEE, which was great, but it was kind of a, it was very event-based. It was very episodic. And, you know, unfortunately in this world, you know, as, as policymaking moves on, this is really a 24, seven, 365 type of business. And so that's kind of where I come in and being the the representative here in D.C., channeling the voices of you and all the listeners and everybody else in the industry to keep that education process really constantly and really ongoing.
2: And do you do that just by having meetings, by making phone calls like what does the education process entail?
1: It's it's meetings, it's phone calls, it's Zooms. Um, We will host briefings um, for congressional staff and members to just provide overviews of what we're doing one of the things that we've done and we'd like to do more of is bringing policymakers out to the shows themselves, wow. letting them see, you know, I, I think probably most mayors and most members of Congress have, you know, been brought up on stage in front of a big crowd and thanked, or, you know, they give the welcome, but um, we like to bring them, you know, the day before the show starts, let them see what the show floor looks like, let them see behind the scenes, let them see how many people are working on creating these amazing traveling circuses that come to town and letting them sort of make the connection of, Okay, so we've got the caterers here, we've got the booth builders here. Look at all these contractors, all these labor folks, and begin to really understand and take hold of what the industry means to them. So it, it works in a lot of different ways. It also works, you know, on the the opportunities we have to bring folks in the industry uh, here to Washington D.C. to talk to their uh, folks, like we do every year on Legislative Action Day, um, which is something that we host every June. And so there are lots of different opportunities. Uh, to continue the education process that, you know, either I'm part of or that I get to bring folks in to uh, to participate in.
2: And it was just announced today that your legislative day is going to be live and in person, isn't it?
1: We are going to be live in person. I, you know, for for the face-to-face business events industry, I don't know that we can do it any other way, but um, we're very excited to bring people back together. It's going to be June 1 this year in Washington, D.C., And it'll be nice to get people back together. I think the last in-person one was done was Exhibitions Day back in 2019. And we really wanted to bring people back in in 2022 as things reopened. But um, the U.S. Capitol was one of the uh, places that was much more slowly reopened, um, not only for some of the public health, but some of the security concerns. And so the U.S. Capitol actually just reopened uh, this month. So we've just got the green flag to be able to do it. So we're looking forward to bringing people uh, back together here in D.C. on June first.
2: And what will that day look like? Can you give us a sneak peek?
1: <laughs> it's 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 really a great day. We start at the beginning of every every one of these with we do about an hour session where we talk about you know what's hot, what are the issues that matter, and you know hear from experts and sometimes from policymakers themselves about you know what's happening on Capitol Hill and how you know, the industry can amplify its voice most effectively in their meetings, both that day and beyond. And then we'll bring everybody up to Capitol Hill. We give everybody some schedules and we let them walk around the halls of the uh, House office buildings and the Senate office buildings and get to meet with folks from their state and talk about you know, not only what the impact in, of the industries in their state and let them tell their stories of you know, the shows that they have and the folks they employ and kind of what the benefit is, but also about some of the priority issues. So like the communicable disease coverage we just talked about, like the visa issues. And that way, the the members of Congress and their staff can hear directly from the folks who vote for it, right from their constituents about what the impact is. And then, you know, we get folks together for lunch, we get folks together for a reception afterwards that really just kind of brings the industry together and lets them really most effectively tell their story to the people who could really take action and help enable the industry's further recovery.
2: That sounds so great. Is there a website people can go to for more information?
1: Yes, uh, our website is ecalliance.us, and there is a page on there called Legislative Action Day, and we're gonna be opening up registration soon, so hopefully by the time you're listening to this, uh, we will, uh, we'll be able to uh, get your information and then we'll connect you and other folks from your state uh, in a team with uh, a schedule of folks to meet with and all the logistical details. And uh, hopefully it'll be a a great day here uh, on Capitol Hill.
2: That sounds great. So um, would you say when the industry came to a standstill because of the pandemic, was that a time when the government really realized what this industry means to the economy?
1: Uh, what, what, what's the old song lyric? You know, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And, and I think there was a very significant uh, aspect of that that happened in 2020. And if you think about, you know, just the number of people this industry employs, you know, millions nationwide. If you think about all the tax revenue that's generated in states and cities that they rely on to provide services to citizens and their communities. And when all that disappears, you begin to understand much more significantly what the industry means but we've also heard that it's been more impactful in other ways it was you know so many conferences you're know, so many association events have a legacy component they have a community engagement component you know or if you've got a, a group of a thousand doctors you know they're out there in the community doing education well that was lost too and you think of all the small businesses that come to trade shows and conventions and conferences to show their wares i think it's you know pre-pandemic four out of every five exhibitors was a small business. And so, you know, the way you know, we've, we've always kind of described here on Capitol Hill, particularly to uh, maybe some of the younger staff who haven't been to too many business events was, you know, a, a, a trade show is basically like a small version of Shark Tank. And we run about 10,000 of them nationwide every year. And you bring these small businesses out, they're exhibiting their goods and services. And when they find the right buyer or the right potential marketer for what they're doing, you know, the impact can be remarkable. And that's something that happens on the trade show for everyday, each year nationwide. And when you see that disappear, then they begin to sort of acutely understand, okay, this is what the industry meant to my community. And then it opened up the opportunity to have a conversation with them and say, okay, well, here's what the industry means to recover. And it allows that long-term relationship building that allows us now to have conversations and say, okay, doors are back open, people are coming back, maybe not at scale like they were pre-pandemic, but you know we've identified some challenges along the way. You know what we mean. Here's how you can help. Okay.
2: Um, earlier, you said that um, one of the other areas that you're supporting is sustainability and climate change, and how that's impacting the industry. Do you mind touching upon that?
1: No, certainly. I I think this is long term, probably one of the, if not the most pressing issue for the industry is how we decarbonize and how we are taking a leadership role on being as environmentally responsible when we bring people together as possible. And we got a lot of great industry-led work going in on that. We've got the net zero carbon events effort, which I believe has more than 400 signatories now. We've got the events industry council sustainability principles. We've got, you know, first of its kind benchmarking study this year that was done to identify just exactly what the carbon footprint of the industry looks like. And then we can begin the process of measuring year over year the proactive steps that we're doing to reduce our footprint. And so really, we at ECA are here to support those industry efforts. And we want to encourage the public sector to take a proactive role in supporting those efforts. You know, We really want these industry-led approaches that create a more sustainable, a more socially impactful industry to take hold. Now, at the same time, you know, from time to time, there are some very well-intentioned regulations, proposed laws, bills that are put forward that may not be aligned with the industry's vision on sustainability. And when that happens, you know, we go into education mode, like we were talking about earlier saying, okay, maybe this isn't the right path to net Zero. How about doing something like this instead and educating them to make sure that, you know, no matter how well-intentioned a piece of legislation or regulation is, if where the rubber meets the road, it doesn't create the impact that it's intended, it can be more of a roadblock and less of an enabler. And we also wanna make sure that you know we're really making sure the environmental aims and what the industry can deliver on are in balance.
2: And um, you had said another one of your um, efforts is around, Staffing and how to attract, train, and retain the industry's next generation
1: workforce.
2: How how do you envision that happening?
1: You know, I think this is more of a longer term uh, agenda item for us because you know I don't know about you, but I don't think I've had a conversation with anybody in the industry over the last six months, nine months, a year where workforce hasn't been front and center, and that staffing concerns haven't been a very pressing need for you know, whomever, you know, whether they be contractor, show organizer, exhibitor, whatever. And, you know, if you trace back to the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we lost a lot of great people out of this industry. There were a lot of people who lost their roles in the industry as things shut down and never came back. Right. They went to do a whole variety of other things. And, you know, the industry has been working very, very hard to backfill those roles. But what it's done is it's created this kind of hole at the top of the funnel where we really need people to come in at all, you know, across all different professions, across all different aspects of the sector and begin to build their career here. You know, I've only been part of the industry a couple of years, but I, I'm pretty sure that nobody, when they were in high school or, you know, middle school, thinking about what they wanted to be, growing up, hey, you know, I thought about, you know, I'm gonna be in the trade show industry. I'm gonna be in the events sector. I think it's something we've all kind of come to organically. Right. But how can we be strategic about bringing people into this sector? Because there's so many different entry points. There are people you know who come up through you know traditional colleges and universities, you know who might have a degree in, in marketing or event management or even accounting, you know who find their way into this industry and stay for a long time. There are also opportunities for folks you know without a four-year degree. There are lots of opportunities for folks on the technology side, on the experiential design side, on the contractor side who can come into this industry, make a great living, have a very exciting career that don't necessarily follow some of the traditional educational paths. So we've got this whole wide possibility of people we can bring into the industry. And what we wanna do as ECA is look at what the industry is doing, identify what's successful, identify where there are great partnerships, identify where there has been government support previously, whether that's at the local level, the state level, the national level, wherever, and highlight those for the policymaking community and say, these are the kinds of things that can be replicated, they can be scaled, and they can bring a whole variety of this future workforce into an industry that is growing and thriving and can provide them a great middle-class life and career for decades. That's what we wanna be able to do. Uh, Unfortunately, here in Washington DC, a lot of the bills and the laws and the authorizations that define kind of those partnerships and how the government funds You know, different educational institutions have been expired for years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we need to find, you know, that bipartisan consensus we talked about earlier, finding some more of that. And when those conversations happen in the education realm, we want to be front and center because we think we've got something that we can offer to folks who are looking for their career that um, is is pretty unique and pretty exciting. We want to be able to, uh, to hopefully steer people into that profession, you know, however they come in.
2: Are you surprised that this is a byproduct of the pandemic, the staffing shortages?
1: You know, I, I don't necessarily know that the staffing shortages are industry specific. I think when you talk to people across a whole variety of industries, I think, you know, this this was something that really shook the antlock. And it created the path for people. You know, I don't think people would have thought you know of working from home in certain industries. And now it's just the norm. People who are looking for opportunities. I think you know the technology and the way that we rely on it now has taken away a lot of the geographical constraints we used to have. And so that those kinds of structural changes are going to create you know, a variety of disparate impacts across the board. Um, I don't know that we're necessarily that much different in the events industry than anywhere else. But I do think we've got, you know, because it touches so many different functions and so many different parts, you know, that are required that, you know, whole great symphony that comes together and creates an event. I think we see it more discreetly in certain areas because we just cover so much waterfront as opposed to, you know, a law firm might be short a lawyer or two or an accounting firm might be short a few accountants. We see it across all the different functions, but I don't know that we're necessarily better or worse off than other industries. But I do think we've got a good story to tell and a good offering for you. Okay.
2: So you've been in the industry for a few years, and I love what you just said. It's a great symphony that comes together to create an event. What were you most surprised by joining this industry?
1: I think what I was most surprised by joining this industry is probably something that everybody experiences when they come into the industry the first time. You know, I've gone to conferences and expos, you know, over time. I've never given a lot of thought about how to put together. And so my probably default assumption was, oh, this is some great vertically integrated machine that, you know, one organization comes in and does all this and not really understanding the role of the organizers, the role of the contractors, the role of the experiential designers, the destinations, the venue managers, everybody who comes together to do this. Because, you know, this is, you know, we, I was having a conversation with with some of the folks who work with us on the policy side, and I was explaining this, you know, to someone you know who's fairly new. And he just kind of looked up and he goes, oh, well, you're America's Small Business is Supporting America's Small Business. Wow. I was like, that is probably the best way to describe that. Um, and it really tells the story of what this industry was. You know, I knew from being on the outskirts of it that the people were amazing. And I have certainly by no means dis- been disappointed in that regard. Um, these are some of like, the, the best people I've ever had the opportunity to work with. But I think just seeing how it all comes together in this incredibly service-focused way that all of these different functions and different aspects, it looks seamless to those on the outside and to the attendees, but not really understanding the millions of, of machinations that take place to just get one event to work. It's been absolutely astounding.
2: Wow. Well, we really touched upon what you have um, to look forward to this year. Anything else that I didn't ask you about?
1: No, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, it's always good to catch up with a friend. And mm-hmm. but it is really, it would just encourage people to, you know, I know advocacy was front and center for folks during the pandemic when things were shut down. But, you know, I always tell people that advocacy is kind of like a piggy bank and you keep making deposits so that the one day when you actually need it, it's all there. So I would say the advocacy work of the industry in 2023 and 2024 and beyond is just as important, if not more so, than it was during the height of the pandemic. So for the folks who've been involved, who've been in contact with their policymakers, who participate in Legislative Action Day. I would just say it's as important now as it is ever. So uh, so stay with us on this journey. And uh, ECA is uh, is here to help and is honored to, uh, to be the representative of the industry uh, here in Washington, D.C. and across the country and around the world. And for those listeners who would like to get involved, the best place to go is the website, Yes. Please visit us at ecalliance.us and you will see a contact us button and those go directly to my inbox. So uh, I would love to hear from everybody who's listening to this and we'd love to get you involved in in the advocacy mission of the industry.
2: So Tommy, we like to end our podcasts with the question, who do you feel we should have on our next podcast? And what would be one question you would like us to ask that person?
1: Oh, what a great question. I might cheat and give you two. Um yeah, because, you know, pe- 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 you know pe- People in politics don't follow directions very well, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take that prerogative. Uh, I would say two. I would say the first one is uh, a dear friend of mine and collaborator Martin Sirk, who, uh who is with Cirque uh, Serendipity and also does work with the Global Association Hubs Partnership of Washington, DC, Brussels, Dubai, and Singapore. He is to me the foremost thought leader about what the future of events will look like. And okay. I think asking him about what the future of events whether they be conferences trade shows expos i think he is just such an amazing thinker in that area and um just has so many uh wonderful forward-thinking ideas to share with everyone i think the second is a uh, a a colleague of mine from canada's name is jason thompson he is a a communicator um his, uh, his organization is called speak up Get results he is probably the best communications guru I've seen. He's actually got ties to the industry, does a lot of work with Site and others. And I would say in this environment where communication is so fragmented and everybody's trying to get their message through, I think his advice to the industry on how to break through the clutter and get messages heard in an ever competitive environment would make for an amazing conversation. So those two are fantastic.
2: Okay, and in my conversation with them, what would be the one question I should make sure I ask them?
1: I would ask Martin what the future of events looks like in five years and 10 years out Mm -hmm. and how that changes and how the meaning of bringing people together might look differently further down the road than it does now. And I would ask Jason for the tips to help organizers, exhibitors, destinations break through the clutter and get their message front center for the audiences that matter for the industry.
2: Great. Well, Tommy, it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. This is great. I look forward to seeing you in June on Capitol Hill.
1: Absolutely. And we invite everybody to come join us for Legislative Action Day. Come visit with uh, with me and Andrea, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody soon.
2: Great. Thank you again, Tommy.
1: Thank you.